Here's Johnny. I'll be back. And you will know my name is the Lord. I'm walking here. I'm walking here. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Let's get things rolling. I think I might say that from now on instead of doing the intro spiel. Let's get <laughs> things rolling. And then it'll be a show about gambling. Let's get that <laughs> pussy wet. <laughs> that's our new intro. That's how we're starting the show. <laughs> and that was the day Jamie and Box Office Pulp parted ways. <laughs> I like the idea of us doing that for every episode, but we start getting more, and more into like hardcore uh, Holocaust dramas. Let's get that pussy wet, and then we talk two and a half hours about Schindler's List. Let's get that pussy wet for some room. It's going to be more confusing when I put that at the end of the episode, and people will be like, but why are we starting that now? Shouldn't we have done this about an hour ago? Regardless. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Box Office Pulp. Your one podcast stop for movies, Madness, Moxie, and tonight, mediocre closing chapters, if we're being kind. <laughs> oh, you did a good job there. I'm proud I'm of impressed you made that yeah. work. yeah. It was a reach, but I, I, I made it. More specifically, we're rounding out our look at the Blade Trilogy and discussing what the hell happened with Blade Trinity. I'm your host, Cody, and joining me are my co-host, Mike. Say hello, Mike. No. And Jamie. Say hello, Jamie. Uh, how long is uh, the Cracker going to be here, Mike? Forever. Forever. I'm Blade. <laughs> <laughs> yes, hello. Good to meet you, sir. So, it, it's funny. When we picked the Blade trilogy, I had to go back and renew my interest in it because I hadn't seen it in so long. And I remember liking Blade 1 but not being wowed by it. I remember being really into Blade 2 because Del Toro did it and having not visited them that often. But I'd never seen Blade Trinity. So this this review series gave me a chance to go back and finally catch up on what I've been missing out. And God damn it, I'm so angry. <laughs> really, this has been a big Hannibal like plot to crush your spirit. <laughs> it's that's the only way I can explain this film. Um, I, I it's it's amazing to see the drop off in quality between entries one, two and three. Each one is its own weird separate flavor. It's like a Neapolitan ice cream. Only the last flavor is garbage. Yeah, how do you go from a film directed by Guillermo del Toro to a movie I think was written by a 13-year-old? I don't understand it because Goyer was, he, correct me if I'm wrong, he was the lead writer on one and two, correct? Yep. Yeah, this is all Goyer. Yeah, I don't He. it's not like they brought in new writers a lot of times you'll see that in bad closing trilogies. They'll be like, oh, well, the other guy got famous from doing the last two and he didn't come back. So we had to scrap for whatever we could find and get this out the door. Hello, Scream 3. Uh, but in, in this case, it's like, it's the same dude. How did, what, what, what? I'm, I'm so confused. It's not like there was like a long dry spell and then he returned with Blade Trinity. This is between Batman movies. Right. They were moving along with these things. And like I was frustrated. I there's just been an idea in my head for years now. I got from film critic Hulk that for every movie out there, there's one person in the world at least who thinks that was the best movie ever. And the trick for good criticism is trying to empathize with that person and figure out what they liked about it. What's like the cool factor this movie does that no other movie does. And I am drawing a blank, guys. I don't know why you would pick this blade as your favorite blade in the tr trilogy. I don't know why you'd pick this as your favorite movie for any reason. Unless you're like the world's biggest Triple H fan. It's Natasha Lee because she was in it. Maybe. I, listen, Blade Trinity just um, came back around on social media because everyone rediscovered Jessica Biel's arms on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> and that is pretty much what's kept this uh, movie alive in public consciousness. I will oh, say God. that's maybe the one thing they did right. They, they had some interesting casting choices. We got Ryan Reynolds before he was Deadpool, essentially doing a proto-Deadpool shtick. Uh, Jessica Biel seems fairly capable in the action scenes. Uh, I object to the character itself, but I don't have a problem with her, <laughs> her acting. I think she does a fine job with what she was given. Uh, for some reason, Pat Oswalt's in there. That's fun. Watching him dribble a basketball is entertaining. 
Oh, you mean Patton Oswald playing Kevin Smith's character in yes. Live Free or Die Hard? Or uh, Kevin Smith's character in Daredevil? <laughs> or Catch and Release. It's, uh... I swear to God, Jessica Biel and Ryan Reynolds being hot at each other is the only reason to watch this movie. Probably. I, I try to make a list to see if like there's some facet of this movie that works better than the other ones. And I'm drawing a blank. Let's let's go through this checklist. Cinematography is somehow both overly slick and cheap looking. Yeah. I think just like they, they tried to cram in a bunch of handheld shots while also trying to make this look like the most polished blade. So they somehow give the impression that they had more money than ever, but they didn't know how to spend it. And some of like just the filming choices of adding fake camera wobbles and stuff and, and the handheld look just doesn't quite go together with everything else they're trying to present. So somehow that that took a step down. Uh, the dialogue, which play uh, dialogue has always been, you know, it's got hints of ham in it, whatever. But this one somehow goes full blown corn. And boy, I know a lot of it is like improvised stuff from Ryan Reynolds just to keep the film going. But it's not enough to save the film. And a lot of things like Blades lines, the 10 of them that he has are all pretty cringeworthy. Oh, they're awful. Coochie coo. And I've been obsessed with this since this movie came out. This movie has the oddest cursing I've ever seen in a movie. Goyer writes dialogue in this film like a 12-year-old who just figured out he can say ass. <laughs> Like every other line is, hey, cock, fuck, butt, face. Oh, my favorite. When like, the people fuck did very... you see my fucking dick, fuck face? <laughs> you cock shuffling thunder cunt. Like people were so confused by dick splash in Man of Steel. And I think I was the only one in the audience who was like, nope, nope, I, <laughs> I can see that dick splash. Yep, that's a Goyer line. <laughs> And it, oh god, let's not even mention the good cop, bad cop detectives that are <laughs> interviewing Blade after his capture. The less said, the better. Uh, what else do we have? Oh, the score and soundtrack. Granted, in the score? other episodes, uh, the score is fine enough. I don't remember most of it, but the soundtrack is where it gets weird. Like, I, I in the first episode, I gave Blade a little bit of shit because the first one has like some drum and bass stuff, which seems a little dated. But it's not bad. It, it fits fine. Whatever. Um, this one, just all of the rock stuff Goyer threw in is just so uh, and, and generic and it, uh, such a bad fit for everything that's going on. And you have the weird amount of Apple product placement that apparently they didn't even get paid for. I will say yeah. the score is done by um, Robin uh, Jawadi and the RZA. Yeah. So there's talent. Yeah. No, those guys are amazing. Um, I can't remember anything about the score for this movie. Whatever. Uh, it's mostly just the odd soundtrack bits for like when characters are going to beat people up. Here's some generic rock and roll. <laughs> oh, God. Whenever I first watched this, I knew it was not going to be particularly good. But I, I was I was still a teenager at the time. I was willing to give it a shot. I, w I was naive in the ways of Wesley Snipes. <laughs> and the scene that made me realize what I was in for was when Hannibal began describing Abigail Whistler's vampire-killing soundtrack as she selected tracks uh, on her iPod. Uh, like, oh, we're in Resident Evil territory, aren't we? Look at the new technology which exists. <laughs> it's this thing called an MP3. I like to think she illegally God. downloaded all of that. Good. <laughs> Hopefully that's true. That's what Whistler taught her. Uh, God. And it might as well jump into it. The acting... It's sure fine for most of the smaller folks. Um, Dracula is a non-entry, which is weird because it's Dracula. I'm sorry, Drake. And <laughs> Wesley Snipes is just completely mailing this one in. If mailing it in isn't being too kind. They have like a Wesley Snipes-shaped corpse that they just kind of dragged on screen every once in a while for close-ups. Okay, correct me if I'm wrong, but is... <sighs> is the very first shot of Blade in this movie... A body double? I believe so. I wouldn't be surprised. I freeze-framed, and no, that's not Wesley Snipes' bone structure at all. Uh, going through the commentaries, they don't outright say that they had a lot of difficulties making the movie in most points, but they keep coming back to the fact that everyone did all their own stunts, except for Wesley Snipes. 
Like they keep mentioning Wesley is only probably responsible for about 25% of his shots. Well, Wesley Snipes was suing them at the moment, so I imagine they were very tight-lipped. I, if they just released Blade Trinity as just that commentary track, I'd buy it every time. I love awkward, tiptoe-around subject commentary tracks for movies. And Blade <laughs> oh, Trinity is that in fucking spades. I love it so much. It was the original The Mummy. <laughs> the producer commentary track, uh, if, you, if you have the unrated Blu-ray, there's two tracks on there. One is with the actors and David Goyer. The other one is like David Goyer, the cinematographer, the some of the producers, crew, that kind of stuff. Um, and they're all very kind throughout the whole thing. The only times they really mention disorder is is stuff like, you know, Wesley Snipes not doing all of his own stunts, hint, hint. But at the end, they do get one barb in that I love where... Uh, I believe Goyer is talking about how difficult it was f to film some of the acting or uh, action stuff at the end with Dracula. And one of the other guys bumps in like, oh, yeah, when one of the other guys is just mailing it in, I suppose it's hard. And Goyer goes, no, I was talking about with all the makeup. It's really <laughs> hard for Brian Steele to move around. And all the other people in the commentary at the same time went, ooh, like it was a schoolyard burn. <laughs> Don't get me in trouble, guys. I still want to do Blade 4. That was that was basically it. like he accidentally someone let the cat out of the bag. He tried to kill me several <laughs> times. I mean, to their credit, they're they're not airing this stuff out, but it makes you wonder how often this happens in movies where something insane besides behind the scenes happens, and they just have to pretend nothing went wrong, do a bunch of commentaries and promotion, and just no, 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 everything was fine. There were there were some difficulties, but that always happens. It, it's fine. It's fine. Oh my god, in preparation for this, I found a random-ass press junket interview for Deadpool where some dude asks Reynolds if he'd ever come back for another Blade movie. I don't know why you'd ask that a decade later, but that guy was curious. They're still asking and, Wesley Snipes if he wants to come back to Blade, so why not Ryan Reynolds? And you just see the look on his eyes for a split second of, what? <laughs> and then he laughs is like oh oh no no that that's wesley's franchise uh maybe they could find somebody uh better suited to play hannibal king i'm happy being deadpool never ask me that again i will kill you it was it was fun apparently they do hint at little bits of animosity on the set too in the commentary track it, it's great you can hunt for all these little treasures knowing what actually happened due to like Pat oswalt's commentaries that he's given out um the line, you should try blinking sometime, apparently was ad-libbed on the spot by Ryan Reynolds and just pissed the fuck off of Wesley Snipes. <laughs> Is that why he refused to shut his eyes in the end? <laughs> I, wasn't it the other way around? Like, he refused open to open his, his eyes? eyes? Yeah, there's CGI. Oh, yeah. It's hilarious to um, look at, like, the fine gifs of Blaine, that last shot opening his eyes. It's hilarious early CGI. Yeah, they had the CGI Blade's eyes open so they could get the shot. <laughs> because More. Wesley Snipes just refused to open his eyes. He just laid on an autopsy table like, mm-mm, no, I refuse. More like CGI eyes, am I right, guys? Ooh, you're done on the show. Get out. <laughs> this show's all about quality and rolling in that pussy. What are you doing? <laughs> now you have to include that in the intro. You can't cut it out, Mike. Swimming in pink. That's just how we open the show now. You can't remove it. <laughs> okay, we, we might as well go deep into this. Pussy deep, you might say. Since it's kind of the only thing to really talk about with this movie. So, remember our episode on Lost Souls? The, uh, the, the tortured journey of Richard Stanley's Island of Dr. Moreau? And... What a supervillain uh, Val Kilmer was to that movie. Yeah, that's also the story of Wesley Snipes and Blade Trinity. Jamie, give us the rundown of some of the incredible Snipes behaviors. <laughs> so, and the majority of this comes from Patton Oswalt. So I recommend just finding any video clip of him doing his delivery of these factoids because it's priceless. But... Yeah, I think he was on the How Did This Get Made podcast talking about Blade 3 once, and I, I remember that being a pretty good time. So look up that stuff and get in his own words. But we're going to repeat anyways. Don't don't turn us off. 
don't leave. <laughs> so I'm not entirely sure what happened between Blade 2 and 3, but at some point, Wesley got really into being in altered states. As you do. And combined with the fact that Wesley felt that he was getting pushed in the fran- pushed out of the franchise in exchange uh, it and replaced with white characters he went into this project just wanting to fulfill a cr- contractual obligation and that's it so wesley snipes is in like five close-ups in this movie the rest of it is just cgi and body doubles this is this is interesting to me because there's like a history to the production of of, of blade trinity where there was an original director at some point. Yeah, have they ever said who? Because I could not find that. It's never been stated. It's just been sort of briefly mentioned in like random interviews or a few people have said like, yes, yeah, Wesley didn't like the, uh, the original director. And that's how, that's how Goyer came on. I know at one point Del Toro was supposed to come back, but he had to drop it since he got the green light for Hellboy. Yep. And, so I'm um, assuming, I mean, I... I... Wesley Snipes seemed fine during the production of Blade 2, so I'm assuming it wasn't Del Toro that he had issue with. And, and apparently Snipes also didn't like whatever that script was that the original director, I guess, shepherded? I, I'm not sure. And Goyer came on, which he also wasn't happy with, despite having worked with Goyer twice previously, and also been directed by Goyer previously. <laughs> and seemed to really like Goyer, so I don't know what happened there. Snipes became a different person, apparently. And the whole replacing Blade thing, I'm really curious about. Because a lot of that really only comes out through the finished product, which is directly because of Snipes' behavior. Right. Like, they only had to film around him because he was not giving feedback or lines or showing up. He wouldn't leave his trailer. So, of course, Blade becomes a minor part of the movie because Wesley Snipes refuses to add Blade to the movie. <laughs> well, it was a weird self-fulfilling prophecy because I can understand where Snipes was coming from a tiny, tiny bit. Because Trinity is kind of a backdoor pilot for a Night Stalker spinoff. I know that was something that was oh, totally floated is. around a lot in the production. And it is a little fucked up that they... That Goyer kind of hijacks a Blade movie to do that, but like you said, like it, he made it infinitely more so with his actions. It's a chicken and it's a chicken and the egg thing. Like, which one actually came first is kind of the question. Like, was the Night Stalker's backdoor pilot that Blade Trinity very much became? That's why they filmed that fucking dumbass werewolf ending. Was that? so they could continue the world of Blade, which Goyer clearly had a massive affection for, but without Blade. Was always the intention to maybe make spinoff characters, or was that just, things are going really badly right now, we need to be able to continue without Wesley Snipes? And also, all of the Night Stalkers, except for Abigail and Hannibal, are brutally murdered in that movie. So oh, they barely have any presence. I couldn't yeah. name like any of them. There's a blind lady, Pat Oswald, some other people, a baby, well, a <laughs> child, not a baby. Let's let's be concise with our terms. So it's weird. I've never seen a movie more unsure about what it's trying to establish. <laughs> All it knows is it wants to get rid of Whistler again. I <laughs> still the most, I love watching these movies back to back and watching Whistler die, live, and die again, like he's some kind of reverse war boy. <laughs> Yeah, I was really expecting Whistler to come back as, like, the surprise ending. Like, I wasn't dead at all, and he's just wearing a cast. He's Dracula. Christopherson uh, did technically play Dracula very briefly. Can someone explain to me why Dracula, I'm sorry, Drake, invaded the, the Night Stalker uh, headquarters as Whistler, a character they all know is dead? What I want to know is, how the fuck does he know about Whistler? Dracula <laughs> telepathy? Yes, Dracula that's been dead for centuries, or sleeping for centuries, somehow has pictures of Whistler hanging on his bedroom door, and he can just copy them from memory. Okay, I brought this up before we started recording. If you told me right now 
that, oh, Dracula, yeah, he was reshot into the movie about two weeks before release, I would totally fucking believe you. Oh, oh yeah. He barely interacts with the other characters. He has, like, a sex scene with Parker Posey and obviously, like, a fight scene with Blade and a really, really stupidly long foot chase scene. But most of that is just Blade running around corners and not seeing where Dracula is. <laughs> and then Brian Steele plays him once he transforms into a monster at the end. So. <laughs> I will give credit where credit is due. That is a cool monster design. I do like that. I do really uh, love... I, I really do love the Dracula monster design. And I, I think we see too much of it. Like, maybe if they had filmed it so it was more in the dark to kind of hide it. The way in full light it looks to me seems more along the lines of something you'd see on, like, the sci-fi... Oh, it's not filmed right they, at all. Oh, yeah, they, it's not. You know, like, had to make up a monster and show it off. If you, if you see the behind-the-scenes photos of, um, of, the, um, of the fight where it's the monster and Wesley Snipes double, mm. um, A.K. Blade uh, in the movie for all intents and purposes, it looks, it looks great. It just looks fucking weird in the movie. But I like the implication due to it having a Reaper mouth that the Reapers just kind of unlocked things in its DNA that go back to Dracula. Like, it's kind of a reverse. Cool. Uh, I like kind of like the story that's implied there biologically with the vampires. They apparently Plus, really like the Reaper design because even the dogs have Reaper mouths. <laughs> <laughs> that just seemed disrespectful. I'm sorry. <laughs> God. The, after the success of the Hulk, let's not do any more giant CGI animals that the bad guy has to fight. Or good guy has to fight. It just never turns out looking good. It's always silly. I'm sure oh. silly is what they were going for, but it still comes off as not the right kind of silly. Also, I appreciate the fact that Drake's look is essentially just the armor from the beginning of Coppola's Dracula, but flesh. <laughs> it was a cool, it was I a think pull. even Goyer was like, we, we need more of that armor, goddammit. <laughs> it's, it's a little frustrating because somewhere in that character, there's a nugget of an interesting idea. We've yeah. got a Dracula who wakes up out of time. And it is disgusted by everything because it hasn't turned out the way he tried to set up. Like he, he gets to look at his own legacy and see it's not great. That's that's kind of a vibrant idea. You can work with that. And the idea that he can do cool mythological stuff like shapeshift because he's made of tiny bones everywhere. Sure. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's a dumb science explanation, but why not? Having him kind of shapeshift into other people is a different way to go for a Dracula film. You know, not just making him a wolf or whatever. He could actually turn into somebody else. They don't really do a lot of interesting things with it. They try to use it, but it doesn't work out. He becomes a douchebag momentarily. Yeah, so it's it's like there's some interesting nuggets there. In in a better film, this could be a compelling villain. But in this one, boy... Uh, he just kind of comes across feeling like a parody of that kind of character rather than that kind of character. Yeah. I mean, whenever he's on the roof with Blade holding a baby so that he can't strike him, that thing that must be in every Blade movie. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, oh, these people, they know nothing of living by the sword. It's like, am I watching the Venture Brothers right now? <laughs> <laughs> and I, I actually adore Dominic Purcell. I think he's a really underrated actor he's basically tv dave batista <laughs> but good lord is that the most miscast dracula of all time it's not it doesn't work slick part of the problem here too is uh to put this in different terms i've been watching a lot of game maker toolkit videos on youtube lately and there was one really really good episode where the guy talks about uh the boss battles of the game cuphead and kind of the gist of that show was that the most satisfying boss fights are those that aren't super easy you know you got to work for them but you still have a boss that complies with a set of predictable patterns so that way when you win you don't feel like your victory is caused just by luck it was you know through timing skill observation uh thinking powers and a little bit of skill all being combined together to figure out the boss's pattern and how to get around that and defeat him so there's no chance you're gimmies Obviously, you're watching a movie, you're not playing a game, so it's not like the viewer is directly involved in defeating the bad guy, but it should still kind of hold true for film villains. There should be some sort of logic that is complex enough to maybe make them stand out, but not so complex you don't understand what the fuck they're trying to do as a villain. Like, if, if we look at the rest of the trilogy, we get Deacon Frost, who is very easy to understand. He wants power, he's a modern vampire, and he's disgusted by the old school rules of the ruling class and he doesn't like that 
he's treated as lesser than them because he wasn't born a vampire. That all makes sense. It works. He's a character that I can understand and gives good incentive for Blade to do his thing. Blade 2, we get Nomak, who is, you know, pretty much a stock Del Toro villain. A little thin on page, but they give you enough about him where you understand he's, you know, this noble, tragic kind of figure who's also memorably disgusting. And there's just enough shreds of information there where you can build your own headcan about the character and really build him up easily. I think it helps that Del Toro always writes like a bunch of pages of biography biography for all his main characters. So he definitely gives off the vibe that he has a firm understanding of how his character should behave in any situation. And you have Luke Goss going, Father! Which is all you need. <laughs> and it always helps. Whereas Dracula, like, I don't really get any of those vibes. I know he, he's out of time and he just doesn't like vampires or humans because they're not pure enough. But I don't quite understand the plan. Like, they're, he's, he's just going to get rid of everyone? Is he going to remake everyone in his image with genetics? Is... I have no idea what Dracula wants, especially since his motivation runs counter to the sub-villain's motivation. Right. They just drag him into the movie. He doesn't want to be there. And then he doesn't really do anything that proactive. He just kind of waits for Blade to fight him at the end. And that's it. He, he has a duel. His ending isn't even particularly interesting. Someone shoots an arrow at him. He catches it, drops it. Blade then stabs him with that arrow. It's like, oh, that, that was it. That was... He's Boy. killed by the legacy virus. He's, it's basically like the ending of Smog in the Hobbit movie. He's just like, oh, okay, <laughs> well, that's done now. Good. Moving along. It's so uh, well, weird because they pick Dracula, but then they also do stupid things like, let's call him Drake now for no reason. They, but they, just like once, just so just everyone once. knows he's not Dracula. Like, yeah. what? They needed a big name vampire for the finisher, but they, they just didn't have any real plans for him. They needed that name, but that was it. The Drake stuff, like, vaguely comes from the comics, sort of. There's a lot of, like, there's interesting stuff there between Dracula and Blade, like, storyline stuff, but it's so... Everything in the movie, mechanics-wise, feels last-minute half-baked, like it was never actually supposed to be there. And it's yeah. just been assembled, like, a week before filming was supposed to begin, like... Entire villains don't feel like they're supposed to actually be in the movie. Entire characters feel that way. Uh, Essentially, Triple H is just there so Ryan Reynolds gets a really cool throwdown fight. Pretty much. It, it never feels like anybody making the movie actually is invested in anything that's happening. No. <laughs> no. Including Goyer, who's writing and directing the movie. Like, I want to know what the fuck happened during the development of this. Like, we know previous scripts were thrown out for various reasons between studio and between snipes. What the fuck else happened that brought, like, that brought the film to the point where a movie is being made so that way the movie's just fucking made and hopefully they can make something else afterwards. It's it's the Fantastic Four movie. It's the fucking Roger Corman Fantastic Four movie. Yeah. Well, uh, didn't the, the rights revert back to Marvel fairly shortly after this or something like that? Uh, in 2010, I want to say. Okay. So it was, a, li it was a little while. The, the, there was still a Blade 4 on the table for a couple of years. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's weird because... Like, this is a revelation I had, like, re-watching it. It's like, okay, Snipes is the reason this movie is bonkers. It's not, he's not really the reason the movie's bad. It's like, no, there's a hundred bad things happening at once that spoil the spot. Yeah, let's just look at the basic plot here, and what the fuck were they thinking? <laughs> We've already touched on, like, them killing Whistler off, which is strange, but then they introduce his daughter as kind of a replacement. That he's Only, always had, but never brought up. Yes, and, and just because he's had the serum in the movie, you know that he has to have been in contact with his daughter and just never mentioned her. So it just feels false. Like, what's the arc there? It's not like she longed for her father, because apparently they did know each other. There, I don't know, it just feels like it's such a weird detail to bring that connection in. Um, on top of that, there's this idea that the vampires control law enforcement but they also need to trick the FBI into making a task force to take down Blade, which they do at night when they could have just swooped in and helped. The stupidest plot point of all time. Oh no, now the cops are after Blade. The one thing he can't fight. 
which yeah. I think is just there because Goyer really, really likes the Dark Knight Returns. <laughs> like, fuck it, I'll, I'll have fun with this. I, I can't see any other reason why it would be there. And I, we really forget about the FBI in the back half of the movie. So it just feels like such a weird padding to put into the film. Uh, Dracula doesn't really have a great sweeping plan. There, there's nothing about this film that says epic finale of the Blade series. It's just like a, a kind of filler entry while they're waiting for like some talent to free up so they could bring them in and do a better entry later. Yeah. It's like a sub-tier Friday the 13th movie. I'm, I think of it kind of like Quantum of Solace. Like, fuck, we don't have a script because of the, the writer's strike. But we need to make something. Just put a series of chases together. It'll be fine. Except in Blade's uh, case, we have what may be the most boring car chase in movie history. <laughs> it felt like something from a 1970s Moonshiner movie. Like, I expected banjo music to be playing. <laughs> I really appreciated when Bane, uh, I thought I said Bane, uh, when Blade <laughs> jumped onto Whistler's semi-trailer and then r- accidentally kind of fell off of it onto another car. <laughs> like, when when did they decide Blade should be a klutz? No, was, no, 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 no. Oh, no, I fell in the car. <laughs> There's weird touches in here where Blade suddenly like just turned into a big dummy. And I don't know if that was done out of spite or it was just <laughs> one of those reasons why Wesley Snipes wasn't happy about the film. But even even the idea that Blade gets tricked into killing a human being and then Blade simply goes, hmm, OK, and he goes thing back. Blade's done so many times. He just, he just murders a dude who calls him out for being stupid. And then Blade just kind of shrugs it off and goes, whatever, he's dead. Blade walks back to his secret hideout. Whistler's like, I hope no one saw you in that obvious trap. And Blade goes nothing. He doesn't have like a heart to heart. He doesn't grow as a character. He basically just goes, eh, I'm reckless now. And then they don't change locations, they don't make preparations, and then the next day the FBI swarms them and Whistler gets killed because the plot needs it. It's such a weird choice to suddenly go from Blade is hyper-intelligent and he's, you know, always one step ahead of the bad guys to Blade's a big old clumsy dummy. (laughs) We've always been outlaws, Whistler. Nothing has changed. And again, I know I harp on this, but oh no, the cops. The the one thing more powerful than the vampires who rule the world. Local jurisdiction, look out. <laughs> oh, the one thing Blade can't fight is legal red tape. Oh no, tax evasion. <laughs> oh no! Oh, maybe they were right. How does Blade not know that like Ryan Reynolds and Jessica Biel are operating in the same goddamn city as him, hunting vampires? With the worst sting operation I've ever seen, like they must have to kill so many muggers with that. Yeah. <laughs> it's somehow also blade has to rob people for like enough money to make new swords and stuff these guys have laser beams they got Patton oswald inventing new serums and like gigantic bows and blasters and lasers and shit how where what what grant did they get and why isn't blade applying for it how much of a monster is whistler in retrospect to never say Oh, yeah, my daughter and her friends are working on a cure for vampirism. They just need the blood of Dracula. Also, here's a laser bow that chops through anything. Now, here's, okay, here's another sword. Inhale. They don't <laughs> even how... attempt to give Blade an arc in this one, which is so strange because the whole thrust of the movie is Blade might have to sacrifice himself to kill the vampires, which is set up in the first movie. We know all Blade does is live to kill vampires because his hate is so strong. And then by this one, we don't get a sense there's hate or anything. It's just kind of like, well, I guess this is my role. Better blow up all the vampires. It's almost like Blade didn't show up on any filming days. <laughs> yeah. It's, like, it's hilarious, uh, that interrogation scene where Snipes' eyes are fucking red, man. <laughs> no, no, and they say in the commentary, it's uh, just those contacts really bothered his eyes. Which actually might be true because they mentioned he doesn't bother wearing the contacts and he chose sunglasses that clearly show he's not wearing the contacts. So they had to like individually craft each scene digitally to change the lighting on his face to make the sunglasses darker. So you couldn't tell the continuity error. He also wanted to wear sunglasses in nearly every goddamn scene. And refused to take off his coat during the sword fight at the end until they apparently forced him to. Uh, We should say Snipes also refused to... to refer to anyone by name, uh, Reynolds and Beale were just the cracker and the white girl. 
And correct me if I'm wrong, Mike, didn't Snipes, like, refuse to be in the same room if Beale was present? So, it, there was something like that, yeah. He, 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 he threatened um, Reynolds on numerous occasions if Reynolds talked when essentially the cameras weren't rolling. <laughs> Snipes would also, one, only be referred to on set as Blade, which, all things considered, happens more often than you think. <laughs> but what's interesting is he would only communicate through sticket notes that he would sign Blade because he was in character. That's definitely what Blade does. He gets office supplies. Uh, he just <laughs> post-its everywhere. That's Blade. If I've known anything about the Blade series from watching 1, 2, and just watching 3 now, it's that Blade loves him some Sharpies and post-it notes. So there's two stories um, that are told during the commentary that are very they're, they're treated like they're very like uh, offhanded. Oh, they're funny stories or whatever. They're implying something, and it's two instances where Snipes decided he just wants to do something in this scene. And but why are you doing this? That's your job to figure it out. One was he wanted to be hanged oh, yeah. upside down like a bat. Um, they filmed this. It's in the gag reel. Um, it was not used because <laughs> it looks shockingly fucking ridiculous. The other one Ooh. is in the scene in the police station yeah. <laughs> when he is being broken out. Snipes told Goyer that, I'm sure through post-it notes, that <laughs> he wanted to go up in the ceiling. And that was as far <laughs> as the explanation went. Apparently he said he didn't want to leave the room through the same door as Ryan Reynolds. Oh, yeah. oh, yes, I'm sorry, that also happened during that. He decided that, no, he wanted the badass walk into the hallway to be by himself, so they had to figure out how the hell Hannibal King gets out of the room. So they just inserted a shot of him jumping back over the glass to go out that other door, apparently. And then later during that scene, he wanted to go up in the ceiling. So there's just a, a shot of Blade leaping into the ceiling. Because Snipes wanted that, and then they pretty much figured out, okay, and then he can jump out at the end or something, and it worked out because you end up getting the forgot my sword moment, which is which is like one of the only cool blade moments in the movie. But that's just born out of desperation of what the fuck happens after he goes in the ceiling? Where does he go? Where how's he rejoin the scene? <laughs> I the the most amazing thing I learned in research. This is like the one thing I've never seen brought up before that I found buried in like I think a, a variety article. Uh, at some point, a journalist visited the set and noticed that taped to the camera monitors was an article from a local tabloid about how a member of the set, like just an extra who was apparently a big, huge biker dude, walked up to Snipes and threatened to kick his ass if he didn't stop being an asshole. And that was just taped to everyone's monitor as <laughs> fucking proof that they did not have to take Snipes' shit. He was mortal. Like That was an inspiration. That was their John Carter <laughs> moment. Blade 3, what a hell of a thing. We should add, as we mentioned before, Wesley Snipes then sued Goyer and the studio because he felt he had been mistreated. Wasn't it like he felt the film was detrimental to his career? Detrimental to his it's career. A... They they um, ruined the character of Blade. Um, there was racial discrimination. <laughs> it was a joint effort. Um, it was just like a laundry list of weird stuff. And like, okay, let's assume that Wesley Snipes was strong-armed, despite having all the power forever on the previous two movies, had somehow been like strong-armed to making a shitty Blade movie. The idea of suing a company because you were in a bad movie is just hilarious on its own. I want more actors to do that. Uh, well, I don't think that's super, super, super uncommon, or at least actors taking actions to block their bad films. Especially, like, if you look at horror movies from stars that are now big celebrities, uh, 
like Texas Chainsaw Massacre with Matthew McConaughey. I think like they actually he kind of like used some of his star power to make sure that wasn't seen as widely as it could have been. Oh yeah, that's why they had to change the recent uh, cover of the Scream Factory yeah. release. They had to remove like three stars from the cover of that movie, <laughs> like redraw it so it's just Leatherface by himself, kind of. But like in those instances, none of those people are also producing the film, <laughs> and that's the odd thing with Snipes. He has from day one of the first Blade been a very hands-on producer. Yeah. Nothing with this movie happened without Wesley Snipes. That's the puzzlement of the whole thing. The weirdest thing to me was I just looked at the box office of the films expecting like Blade 3 to have been so calamitously bad. Like they, they, it was such a disaster they couldn't make another. But it wasn't that different. Worldwide, Blade 3 made $129 million. So roughly the same as the first Blade. Blade 2 made $150 million worldwide. So it's a difference of $20 million with, I'm sure, a much larger budget. But that doesn't seem like it should be enough to kill a franchise that was still hauling in pretty good amounts of money. It's, it's just strange because, like, my opinion of the film, having not seen it till just now, was that it was such a disaster, such a tire fire that destroyed everything. Box office reviews, uh, careers. And apparently it did most of that, but still did okay at the box office compared to the other Blade films, which is a head-scratcher. Yeah, just a combination of critical reception and no one was exactly going to call Wesley Snipes. And then he went to jail a few years later, so... After being on the run for several years, that cannot be overstated. <laughs> Wesley Snipes was a fugitive from the law for a while. But yeah, it's, it's fucked up how even with Blade Trinity... I, I feel like they would have made another Blade movie that was successful if it weren't for Snipes' behavior. People liked Blade that much. People still love this franchise. Yeah, Everyone right. forgot about this movie five minutes later. Oh, Even going yeah. off of the critical reception, according to Wikipedia, uh, CinemaScore apparently gave the film a B-plus rating from audiences. So audiences weren't even that upset by Blade Trinity. Also, audiences, what the fuck, guys? Uh, okay, I have a story to tell about a particular reaction to Blade Trinity. Okay, I will always remember this movie as the movie I watched after coming home from a funeral. So real pick-me-up. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I watched it with my parents, who were just, who were big fans of the previous movie, like me, but were just griping and groaning through the entire thing because they could not get over the David Goyer dialogue. <laughs> and it took, like, they were able to hold it all in until the scene where Hannibal gets rescued in the third act and you get that orgasm of profanity from Ryan Reynolds where he's screaming, you cock juggling thunder cunt! <laughs> and my dad stands up and goes, no, 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 no! Grabs the power cord and yanks it out of the wall. Because the evil of that movie was something that would not be stood in his house! And yeah, that's how, the first time I watched Blade Trinity. I can't top that story. All I can mention is I got curious and I clicked on Wesley Snipes' uh, filmography just to see what he had done since Blade Trinity. And boy, uh, I'm not going to read the titles of these movies because I don't recognize any of them. But the next films he made went direct-to-video, 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 direct-to-video. Uh, Brooklyn's Finest, I'm not sure if that went theaters or not, but he did get Black Reel Award for Best Supporting Actor. Then direct-to-video, direct-to-video, and then finally in 2014 and 15, he had theater releases in The Expendable 3 and Chirac, and then he made two more direct-to-video movies. Yeah, he was just Steven Seagal for a while. Yeah. Oh, Wesley Snipes. You were the coolest person in the world at one point. One of the greatest what-the-fuck-happened stories in Hollywood history. It's such a weird thing. It, who would have guessed the trajectory? Like, watching Blade 1 and 2, you're like, God damn, that guy is uh, pretty kick-ass. Like, as an action star, I could see him getting all sorts of cool roles. Blade 3 happens. Sorry, Trinity. I hate calling it Trinity for some reason. It's a it's, stupid name. Really Does anyone else title. think it's, like, such a super pretentious title? 
But geez, so all of a sudden that happens and he just throws a career out and we get a slog of direct-to-video things that no one will remember. And this maybe a slight comeback. The guy is uh, in his mid-50s right now, so he's got plenty of time. But, I mean, cameo kind of roles in the Expendables films. Eh, it's, it's, it's kind of a tragedy to see a career just fall apart that way. His Twitter's delightful. He's surprisingly upbeat and nice on his Twitter. Yeah, and he talks about Blade a lot. Honestly, I think going to prison was the best thing that happened to him. It seemed to clean him up. He will cut you for saying that. <laughs> <laughs> he really doesn't seem particularly crazy anymore, so that, that's good. So, uh, before we, uh, before we uh, sign off and never talk about Blade Trinity ever again, I, I think it would um, be remiss of us not to mention the greatest uh, historical anecdote that means, makes it so this movie uh, will never die or go away. But before I go into that, I just want to mention that I had an amazing discovery when I pulled out my Blade Trinity DVD that I never noticed, because God knows I never opened this fucking thing. <laughs> I was never aware it came with a Blade Trinity prequel comic Ooh. by Jimmy Palmiotti and Amanda Connor. <laughs> so that was amazing to discover. It's beautiful looking. Oh, it has man, some of the weirdest dialogue ever. <laughs> it's all every time I think about this movie and think about Hannibal King, as I often do, I'm reminded of the fact that canonically, the first time he and Abigail meet, he kicks her in the chest and says, nice tits, very firm. Are they real? <laughs> because he can feel them through his shoe, I guess. That's one of his superpowers. He's got foot sense. It's wacky. Now, going off of that, and speaking of um, <laughs> Hannibal King, so the only claim to fame this movie has, if, um, if anyone noticed, pretty much Ryan Reynolds in this film is Deadpool. It's, 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 this movie is where Ryan Reynolds uh, slowly climbed out of the womb to become Ryan Reynolds. It's where he got abs, most importantly, that would uh, go on to <laughs> also define his career another way. But it was during the making of this movie, producer from New, from New Line gave him a Deadpool comic and said, you should definitely play this guy. We have the rights to this character because you're pretty much playing him in this movie. And Goyer was also a fan of Deadpool and was like, fuck, yeah, that's a great idea. We should make a Deadpool movie. And just lost interest in the film they were making and just started discussing Deadpool all the time. <laughs> and for a while, we're developing a Deadpool movie for New Line. It didn't happen, but it's what led to the lifelong passion for Deadpool that brought us the current franchise we're all enjoying. <laughs> thanks to Blade so, fucking Trinity. Thanks, Blade Trinity. What I love so much about that is. When you think about it, isn't Blade Trinity a movie that would exist in the Deadpool universe? <laughs> I'm amazed like, they haven't made reference to it at all in Deadpool so far. They don't want to piss off Snipes again. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, doesn't it seem like just a movie Wade would be watching? <laughs> it feels like something during... he would have cleaned up during the timeline sequence in part two. <laughs> just put any Parker Posey scene in there and just have Wade change the channel. <laughs> or just comment on her hair again. Well, I guess all I can say is thanks for the Deadpool, and let us never speak of Blade Trinity again. Anyways, if you enjoyed this show, you can find more of Box Office Ball and episodes on Blade that we, you know, actually had a good time talking about uh, on Blogspot. We're on Stitcher. We're on Twitter. Facebook. Just look up Box Office Pulp, and you'll find us and more of our words. <laughs> and more of our oh, words. I'm trying that one out. It has a good mouthfeel. And and please, if if you can, please um rate and review us on iTunes. It's it's a lot of help. Yeah, we require your words to keep going. It's substance for us. Anyways, that's a wrap. Get the hell out of here. And also get me more pictures of Spider-Man. <laughs> that's our new sign-off. I'm gonna I'm gonna work that in. It's gonna more it's gonna feel more natural after a time. And we're going to get some great pictures of Spider-Man. <laughs> can you please fill our Twitter feed with pictures of Spider-Man? 
I wouldn't even be mad. That'd be fantastic. <laughs> and like that, he's gone. Okay, okay. So if you had to pick a part three, Spider-Man 3 or Blade Trinity? If there's one movie we're forced to watch for the rest of time. Yeah, Spider-Man yeah. 3. That at least has some moments. So it's got even Raimi's though touches. Trinity is shorter. Yeah. No, th- Spider-Man 3, yeah. At, at least, you know, you, you I like get some the of the Sandman stuff. Yeah, I like some of the Sandman stuff. Venom looks cool. Um... Uh, I'd say Franco gives the best I know what movie I'm in performance out of everyone in, in these yeah, two movies. Yeah, the cherry pie thing's yeah. pretty fun. So good. So good. So good. Bop, bop, bop. Terrible, though. Awful movie. Not great. <laughs> no, not not very good. This is Box Office Pulp Guy, and this has been a Pulp Podcast production. Now, please, please, please... Put a gun in my mouth and pull the trigger and say goodnight. And now, on with the show. This meeting will come to order. The Legion of Pulp is now in session. In a moment, iTunes... Yes, Quizmotron. I was wondering, Emperor Palpatine, if I could, perhaps... Box Office Pulp thinks we need a few items to pawn on the black market. Box Office Pulp guy, you have a podcast dedicated to movie analysis. Pinhead, your pleasure puzzles are deadly. Isaac, you've... You've got corn! Corn? What more do you need? How about a nuclear warhead? What? All other supervillains have them. With a nuclear warhead, I should leave all of the podcasts to tear themselves apart with paranoia. Box office pulp wants a magic lasso to hang himself with. Can I get a ship in a bottle kit? I demand more corn. To make my own ship in a bottle. Oh, enough of this. The hell do I look like, Santa Claus? We're wasting valuable time. Right now, my Pope drones are rewriting Apple's code to make our podcast number one on iTunes. Excuse me, Emperor. Quizmotron, what is it? All Quizmotron wants is pants. A decent pair of pants. Darth Vader wants pants, too. Order! Order! Tune in next week at hopepodcastnetwork.wordpress.com I don't even know how I deal with any of you on a daily basis.